Shumai Achroiso. Hello and welcome to the New York Welsh podcast. That is the podcast that celebrates Welsh success stories in New York while hopefully inspiring the creation of some new ones. I am Richard. And I am Gideon. Uh, our guest today was Sarah Collinson, Head of Account Management at Joan, a creative agency based here in New York. Quite a unique one, I think, Richard. Yes, they are a young startup with an impressive client roster, including the likes of Google and YouTube. Um, they also have a focus on ensuring diversity and inclusion in the workforce. They're a female-founded company uh, with an executive team of, that is made up of 66% women and 34% people of color, which is sadly all too rare. Um, and the fact that we even have to call it out, I think, shows all the work that still is to be done in that area. Says two white men. Yes, indeed. 100% of the hosts of this podcast <laughs> are white males. Um Prior to starting at Joan, uh, she was at ad agency Anomaly for four years, where she helped create the most successful cannabis brand in the world today. Voted one of Time Magazine's top inventions of 2016. What? Cannabis? It's been around since before then. I hate to break it to you, Time Magazine, but cannabis has been around long well, long I before. It, I think it's the, the products, that the vape pens that they brought to market that is the invention, not the... Not the drug. Okay. Voted one of Time Magazine's top inventions of 2016 and 2017 Fast Company world-changing idea. Yes, originating from Swansea, she studied history at Oxford before embarking on a career in advertising in London where she worked on a number of years uh, on the Christmas ads for John Lewis. Oh, the beloved John Lewis Christmas ad. Yes, very topical for this time of year. Uh, and we have probably an announcement that we'll be probably going on pause for a couple of weeks. So you won't be hearing from us and having our regular episodes, but we will be um, resuming with some exciting new guests in the new year um, after we've had uh, our fair share of mince pies and, and, and brandy sauce. Back home in Wales, no less. Uh, on this episode, we discuss Sarah's career, what she looks for when hiring, and where to get a pint on a Monday night in Swansea back in 2002. We give you Sarah Collinson. So speaking of this time of year... Um, we're entering the Christmas period. It's a um, Christmas episode. Christmas episode. It's oh, yeah. not. <laughs> so, it kind so of is. festive. It is. Okay. Um, and I gather that you, when you were in U the UK, in London, you worked on some of the, the beloved uh, Christmas ads for John Lewis. So I we did. Thought, since it is this time of year, you can maybe tell us a little bit about that to kick us off. I did. It was, it was awesome. It was, um, so I started at Adam and Eve. God, I can't remember. 2010 I think um, they were and a that's tiny, the ad agency yeah that's an ad agency so they're a tiny they were a tiny agency when I first started um but they were doing really well they were like agents of the year and that sort of thing. great reputation like for such a small shop yeah like, I mean, totally I don't know many advertisements but they were ones that kind of yeah out. and I think that the, so the owners are you know they're amazing they're all like very very intelligent like very driven people um and John Lewis was there flagship account and I think that their relationship with the guy who ran it this guy called Craig Inglis was just great and they really trusted each other um and they did I think my first ad that I worked on with them was the kid with the present do you mm -hmm. remember that yeah I remember yeah. That. Yeah, yeah which one was that um so it was uh the I can't remember what it was called um the long wait I think it was called although no one would know that Rings the name the bell. so when the kid's like you think he's really excited about Christmas and he's not, he's excited about giving his parents his gift. Oh, that's actually the only one I remember. That was, I, I think that was the one where it went from being like just 
normal ads to being something that everyone talks the event. about and it's then now yeah. it's an epic that like almost i but i always think like does that create like a curse because then you've just created this level of expectation that now for the people working on that it must be like really exciting but also like shit we have it's to exciting and terrifying and i think the thing that was amazing was it was this brief that um we would brief it in february so you would do it get it all done you then brief the team in february Wait, and for the next for the, for the next, next year, year yeah wow um, and that's not typical, right? Like no, not at all, not at like, all. And but yeah. it, it was great because it meant that you had the idea of what it was going to be locked in, like I don't know, March, um, March, April, and then you could do all of the different pieces around it. So the thing that they've got amazing at now is they do this TV ad, but then they'll have stuff in store. They'll have um, like an app you can play with. So we did the one with a kid, and then um, the one with the snowman. Do you remember the one with the snowman? Probably, probably the snowman. Yeah, there was a penguin one year. There was a penguin one. Yeah, yeah. there was a character in the advert, and then you could buy the plush toy. Exactly. So the snowman was the first time we did that. So it was this two snowmen, you know, outside. Then one, the 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 guy snowman goes off on a little journey to go find buy the women snowman a present. Oh, it's very sweet. Sweet. Um, They're always so. My favorite was the one with the little girl on the telescope watching the man on the moon. The man on the moon. Interesting. That's not normally people's favorite one, but really, oh, it's lovely. It's good. Yeah. And and with John, did John Lewis? Because I feel like. I'm trying. I'm going to forget which one. But one of the big tech, either Facebook or Google, or one of them now do a big. I feel they do like a holiday ad. I think they were they doing it before, or is that something that they've kind of copied? I think lots of places do now and I know it's definitely not something that was invented by John Lewis but I think that what they did that was very interesting was turn from a buy this now at a cheaper price to really tapping into the emotional side of the holidays Mm. and they you know everything around it was just geared up to make you love that brand and want to go there and feel that that brand really supported the holidays and then if you look at um, UK advertising scene now around Christmas everyone does it. Like Tesco's, Waitrose, it's all designed to be a bit like teary. Yeah. But it must, that must mean as a result that it, it, it almost becomes, I don't know, you, you almost becomes desensitized to it so at that point when ev- if everyone's... I guess, but everyone's doing it in a slightly different way. And I don't know, everyone's very emotional around the holidays anyway. And yeah. so you see it and everyone just starts crying. With their ready to love be. It. I mean, do you remember the, well, of course you do, but the Coca-Cola advert with the truck? Yes, 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 yes. I feel like well, it was when, an event, right? And it kind yeah. of signified the start of the holidays. That means, that means it's time to start feeling Christmassy. Yeah. And I think the thing that John yeah. Lewis, the thing that happened with them is it was, it was the same. And so there was that kid with the presents bot was the one that first everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then the snowman was the year afterwards. And I remember by the time we were doing the snowman, like even before it came out, People were writing about it. People were trying to find out who did the song. We were getting journalists trying to talk to us. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, it was exciting, but there was, as you say, a lot of pressure because you're like, God, what if this is shit? Yeah, and, and no I imagine the, like, yeah, and I imagine the budgets that go into it too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It wasn't like the budgets were never that insane. I mean, it was obviously you have to go on location, and shoot something. Yeah. Actually, the snowman one was really interesting because uh, the team went to New Zealand to shoot it because you're shooting it in summer, right? right? And so you. So we went to New Zealand and they were having a um, unseasonable warm patch. And so there was no snow. And so we had to then buy snow and kind of make snow around this one little area. In, in New Zealand? Yeah. 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 Did that, ironically, was that more expensive because you were having to transfer? Because I imagine it was Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Shipping the fake snow over from London. Yeah, to, to make it look Christmassy. <laughs> so I was trying to think if there's an equivalent in the US and I was thinking maybe Super Bowl ads would be a similar thing. But I, And I guess what was in my head was the budgets because that's the media buy. That that's the media buy. Super exactly. I think most people get confused between media buy and actually going on location shooting something. And I certainly don't make any more money based on when the advert's going out. No, 
you know, as a crew member. Do you do many adverts versus film and television? Have you done any adverts, actually? Tons, yeah. Tons, yeah. The, fun, I mean, the thing that's funny about going on shoots, right, is you could do, and I'm sure you have the same with uh, bigger shoots, you, it's this very intense set of days. So you'll go for like three days, four days, and all of you stay in the same hotel. And you get up probably at five in the morning. And so you're all kind of exhausted by the end of it. And you all eat in the same place and you're shooting and you're just sitting there staring at a screen for days and days. And it's just this very strange little microcosm community. Mm. And then at the end, you'll kind of you know celebrate because you've, done the whole thing so i was always jealous of that in some ways because i've, I've been around or seen you know she's and it, it does seem to create like a sense of camaraderie and bonding yeah. that you just don't get on other, obviously there's something you get from like working late nights you know in the office but there's something about being away totally together, on-site committed to this cause that just i think creates these bonds yeah i mean it's exhausting yeah. is the one but that thing that's part of it too you yeah. go through trauma together totally <laughs> it's exhausting you do end up sitting around doing nothing for long periods of time mm. and that's also all the, you end up playing i don't know strange games with people and yeah you like, bond with people when yeah, you're bored so. yeah totally yeah and just eat loads of rubbish and i, I think it's fun as well because you get to go on you know different locations and to places that i would never have been to normally so we did a um as part of john lewis as well we worked on all their fashion stuff and we went and did um some really fun shoots down in South Africa because South Africa looks remarkably like the UK in some places. Really? Yeah. And so if you're shooting spring, summer, you're always shooting it in like November. So the spring, summer collection mm-hmm. is in November. So you can't shoot in the UK in November because it will be grey and horrible. So you go to South Africa. Um, and we were doing this shoot with this um, amazing British fashion photographer, but he refused to shoot on anything other than film, which means that no one can see it. So normally you're used to shooting something, everyone looks at it and you're like, okay, that looks good. This is on just to the next stills. thing. We're not just talking stills. video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And so he would just shoot on film and he'd be like, yeah, I've got it. And we sort of go, okay, I hope he does. On to the next wow. thing. Yeah. And he only wanted to shoot at Golden Hour. So we had about 45 minutes per day of shooting. And so given we had Golden Hour is just as the sun is coming down where the light is traveling yeah. uh, horizontally, right. like parallel to the ground, and it gets this amazing orange glow. So, the so it's beautiful. You, can you do the same thing in the morning and but throw it off as... It just doesn't have Different the same... for some reason. Maybe it's something to do with like the, the mist in the air is burned off by out. that time in the yeah. afternoon. It's, it's sometimes it's quite a lot colder, I think, in the morning, as in like the light's a bit colder, yeah. whereas in the afternoon it's got that really warm glow about it. It's clever um, as a photographer. Well, yes, you apart- get to charge your daily rate yes. for 45 minutes work and then this go, oh, thing. didn't get it. I have yeah. to try again tomorrow. This is the thing. And so we had this entire crew, like a very famous model for days and we were shooting 45 minutes per day. Wow. Yeah. So there's any budding photographers out there you're thinking of That's idea. top tip. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they look great. The shots that we got look great, but you know, slightly stressful. Wow. It is hard to recreate with lighting. Yeah. That, mm. The golden hour thing. Hmm. Cool. So let's fast forward a little bit and maybe talk a bit about what you're doing now. So you're currently, if this is right, head of account management at Joan Creative. I am. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? I know it's a company with quite an interesting mission. Um, so yeah, how did how do you kind of get involved in, in Joan and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Joan is, uh, it's quite a young company. Um, it's about two years old now. Um, and it is founded by two women, which is... Uh, I would. I mean, I look forward to the day when that isn't a strange thing, mm. but right now that's very unusual. Um, and the two have got quite different backgrounds. So one was um, executive creative director of Widen and Kennedy. So that's a very big, sort of very good ad agency. And the other one was um, chief operating officer of Refinery29, which is a sort of online publication, kind of like a um, 
a daily vogue, I guess I would call it, um, just the kind of news and culture and beauty and fashion. Um, the two of them came together and wanted to make a creative agency that was a bit different to all the other agencies out there. And, you know, they still want to have, there's still an ambition to be, make amazing creative work, whether that is for brands, maybe that is building brands, maybe that's helping brands strategically work out who they are and what they want to say. But they have a point of view that you can also be nice people while you're doing that. And we um, actively recruit for diverse employees. And that is of background, of uh, different areas, different countries. I think we really see it as a business advantage to have people from different backgrounds and different types of people. Um, and it's which has been like scientifically proven. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's not, a, it's not even needs a theory. Like it is, and it's surprising that it takes so much for people to absolutely and business around it. But that's yeah. And I think you know our executive team is about sixty percent women, and I think it's about thirty. 4%, two out of six, 34% um, people of color, which I think is very rare um, in sort of this day and age. Certainly, in, I think, in the in the US and yeah. in most places. exactly. So Joan is a holding company, and there are different companies that sit underneath it. So there's Joan Creative, which is the kind of communications and ad agency, and we work with brands like Google and YouTube. We've done stuff for Netflix, um, got a lot of stuff with General Mills. Um, and that's almost more of the ad campaigns and brand building pieces that you'd be used to with a normal ad agency. Um, then there's Joan Studios, which is a um, sort of in-house production arm where we shoot um, quite, you know, I don't want to say small, but kind of quite fast, more low-key pieces. You know, when we work with bigger brands, we'll get in big-name directors for big films. And this is more of a, if you wanted a quick film or social post or something shot quickly. Um, and that's all done in-house. You have in-house technical crew or do you... You bring those guys in. We bring them in depending on I'll give you my card. Yeah, absolutely you do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we're quite small, you can't have people on staff all the time. So it's very much, it's kind of, we've got the infrastructure and then just bring in people depending on what we need. Uh, And then we've got Damn Joan, which is, we like to say, a provocative online publisher. What's provocative about it? Uh, If you look at any of the content, I think you'll see. It's very um, pokey and punchy. And I think it, most publications for women are about beauty and fashion and this is not that and it's trying to take a look at politics and culture from a quite feminist point of view um so that started last january and we had a sort of beta testing phase it's on pause at the moment just because if you know anything about uh publishing at the moment it's very expensive and tough to do um but we're picking it up back up again next year Mm. Is, are we talking a, a paper publication no so it was online but we we, we were publishing it like you used to with proper magazines so once a month so there was a proper edition that came out once a month okay um just the cost of labor to go into well yeah if you want to exactly exactly if you want to have a full-time staff of you know editors and journalists Mm. it costs quite a lot of money um business in itself (laughs) yeah exactly but you know the brand still exists and i think we're going to work out exactly how we do it next year and in, in what format um, and then underneath all of that is a is the Joan Foundation for Diversity, and it's a proper. I always said this wrong. Five five hundred one c three five hundred. I think it's five hundred one c three registered charity. Um, so it means that certain amount of profit from Joan has to go into it. And at the moment, it is uh, we reach out to schools and bring them in and give talks, and we go there. We've just started a fellowship where we're going to bring on one person to start with, one person a year. We can't really commit to more than that of people who aren't. Uh, in the industry and commit to training them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 
It's very exciting. Are you? Are they based? Is Joan based only in New York? Currently, yes. Currently, yes. I mean, there's definitely, I think, plans at some point to expand, um, and we have ways that we can work globally with different people in different countries. Of course, but, yeah. But for now, it's just New York, um, where nearly thirty people. We've just moved into our actual office, which is really exciting. Cool. So I started where, whereabouts? there. Whereabouts? It's in Wall Street. In Wall Street. Huh? Yeah. So I I started there. Beg your pardon, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> just for our listeners, brother, that was actually Gideon's dog, Linus. Not... He's just getting involved. Yeah. He wants, wants, wants to like Wall Street. Wants to say, well, he, he was does. part of Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I started there last January, and I think we've been in four different locations since January. Ooh. In, in um, uh, kind of co-sharing spaces? or No, so we've always had our own space, but so we, um, we got the lease on this current space, I think in June maybe, mm-hmm. and I've completely redesigned it. So taken everything out, got an interior designer in, made the space look very Joan. So it's all the walls are painted black and there's kind of neon lights and gold pieces everywhere. Um, but it's taken quite a few months to, as, as ever with builders, it's going to be done by X date and that gets pushed back and pushed back. So we've been in all these different temporary spaces, which just, I don't know, it just mentally feels, it's not as inspiring sitting in a kind of crappy space with no windows. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, it feels good. So we've moved in, we moved in on Monday actually. So it's a new space. Um, we've just got a new executive creative director who's joined us from another big agency who's awesome. Um, we've just won a really big pitch, which I can't say what it is, but yeah, it's good. It feels like we really have momentum. And I think that the two founders, Jamie and Lisa are, they're super inspiring. They are both mums. Um, they both have young kids and they are really, I think, demonstrating how you can be a, uh, incredibly successful in business, start your own company, start your own company and pitch against other agencies that are 30 times bigger than you, much more renowned and win win things. Mm-hmm. So the mission statement, how explicit is that when you are pitching to a client? Is that something that you, you sort of brand yourself with? We are Joan, this is what we stand for and that's one of the reasons you should like us or do you just, that's in the background and you... It's kind of in the background. I think that, um, you know, the thing that's interesting is some people, clients come to us and say, oh, you're a, 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 a women's agency. I'm like, no, we're not. We're an agency founded by two women. You don't assume that an agency founded by two men is a male agency. So there is that always that assumption. And, and, what, are, um, and what would that even mean in that context, a women's agency? Well, I think, I guess it would be people who just work on makeup products, and right. women's Those products. products that, things for the ladies. Right, right, right. And that's not what we do. Yeah, but to your point, you wouldn't have a men's agency. No, exactly. and that would never yeah. be the assumption, right? No. So you'd always assume, oh, it's an agency started by men, they'll do everything. And so that's what Joan is. Um, but, you know, I think that we have definitely got some briefs that are female focused. So I think one of the early pieces of work we did was for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, all about uh, I think it's called She Rules um, and it was taking lots of different pieces of Netflix content with a voiceover about expectations of women mm. and it was great it was like a super powerful piece and I think we you know almost certainly got that because we were found out by two women right. because if you're going to try and make a f- powerful feminist statement you may as well get some women involved right. in it but you, really um, you didn't want that to be the overall exactly thing. and you know I think a lot of the work we do like Google and YouTube are two of our really big clients and we do work that is very tech focused we'd love to win a beer we'd love to win a car company all of mm. the kind of male bro things yeah maybe mm-hmm. a plane, uh, airline too yeah like yeah exactly thing. exactly um and i think that the diversity angle is incredibly powerful you know i think whenever you come into a room with joan employees 
everyone's different and everyone's from a different background there are just different people from different backgrounds different also from different places of work so we have people who are, have been at other agencies we have people who've have had nothing to do with agencies before um so having that mix for clients i think is really interesting because i think you know people are so used to having these agencies that all do the same thing and have the same people and offer mm. the same solutions and i think the promise of joan is hey we have a whole mix of people that are all very very different founded by two women which there isn't any other agency like that we're probably going to find you a different solution my next question is do you find that there's a very positive reaction to that or do most people just say okay well that's great it's a very positive reaction i think that and has that, and has that changed because i feel like in the last 12 months certainly in the united states it's become a you know if it wasn't a topic of discussion thing. before it, it really is kind of front yeah of the agenda now for a lot of companies so whether it wasn't people's personal totally. it kind of has has become totally and you know i think that bigger companies now have quotas right mm-hmm. of their partners so you know, they'll have a quota of you need to work with this number of female creatives. And we're like, hey, yeah, we yeah. are 60% women. So yeah, we've been doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think as well, the thing that's really great is it doesn't feel with Joan that it is a, uh, that it's something that they're fabricating because it's founded by two women and that's been the policy the whole way through. It's not like a big agency that's going, yeah, hey, look, we've got women mm-hmm. over here. Look, here mm-hmm. are the women. Yeah, will them out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think with, you know, with there are so many brands now that are really seeing the advantage of working with a diverse group of people. Mm. And so they're reaching out to Joan. I also think that the old model of... Uh, AOR. So basically the way it used to work is a brand would come to an agency and would pay them a shit ton of money to be their kind of partners for an entire year. Brands just don't have as much money anymore. I think that they're having to be more flexible. I think smaller agencies are really on the rise because Mm. we offer ways of working that are much more flexible. We go, all right, you've got this much money. Okay, let's see what we can do rather than being really rigid. Mm. And they can be specific projects versus being just an annual Exactly, exactly. Uh, but no, it's a really exciting time. And I think that it's amazing that Joan's getting the recognition that we are. Mm. I mean, I think it was funny. I did a panel um, a few months ago and it, there were other people from smaller agencies. And it really showed me the clients that we have are kind of insane for the, the age that we are. Mm. And I think a lot of that is to do with the reputation and the renown of the people who are there. But then also the fact that it's different and founded by women. So, yeah. Excellent. I guess another topical um, conversation in the US press is obviously the legalization of marijuana. Uh, and I gather you worked on a cannabis brand before uh, for quite a number of years. I did. I did. Pre, indeed. pre, actually, it becoming was, was it on the no, plus? Was, was it in talks? Yeah, it wasn't. Legal. It was, were, you not... <laughs> were you a drug dealer? Were you a drug dealer? That's what we want to know. God, I told you not to. Will you say, say that right now? And, and I say that because you know it's a state by state basis. So yeah. So it was, um, I did. So I worked on a cannabis brand that was called Humboldt and is now called Dosist. And I think it is one of the uh, biggest and probably most famous brands in the US at the moment. I, I think so, for, for, certainly for, for cannabis. And I would, I would look it up. So it's D-O-S-I-S-T. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very beautiful. It's one, yeah, it's, it's beautifully designed and it's, um, you know, won quite a few awards, I think on the design, but then also it's created so it's a pen so it's a vape pen and when you inhale uh it after a few seconds will vibrate and will tell you how much you've had so that you don't 
take too much, um, which is it sounds very simple, but it's just so great. I mean, you know, when you, it's like measuring a shot, right? If you're having a drink, you'd measure mm. a shot and put that in your drink instead of just free pouring. Um, it's the same sort of principle. Um, safety guard. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just to make sure that everyone sort of takes it in the right way. But yeah, when it started, it was legal uh, for medical use in California. Mm. So there was, it was kind of a strange time where it was legal for medical use and it was definitely going to be legal. And there were some states that were already fully legal. This is a funny thing with the US at the moment. Like there are, it, there's so many different states with different policies. There are some where it's still 100% illegal. And if you get caught, you'll go to jail instantly. There are some states where it's 100% legal. And you can just go in, buy what you want, go on the street, smoke something. Um, and then there are some that are still in that halfway house of it being legal for medical use only. Um, but yeah, so it started when it was for medical use only. And then January of this year, it went fully legal in California. And it's interesting. I think that it's a, you know, it's a world that is massively on the rise here and is getting to be bigger and bigger every day. But there aren't that many rules and regulations around it yet. Mm. And so I think that is going to come. But starting a brand um, at that time was really interesting because there was no, you were kind of forging your own path, right? There were mm. no other brands to follow. There were no rule, there's no rule book of doing it. Um, it was just kind of wild west of people grabbing and seeing that it was going to be the next big thing. And, you know, when there's no brand that exists, being the brand that everyone knows about is, is so important. So there's no Nike, right? Mm. There's no Nike of cannabis yet. Mm. And so everyone was trying to land grab and trying to get in there and be the brand that was known about and talked about. Um, and yeah, I think that this brand's doing amazingly well. It's, as you say, it's like beautifully designed. It's very carefully kind of curated in where they show up and mm -hmm. so who they partner with. Um, so yeah. Were there any, obviously you can look to any other cannabis brands, were there any other brands that you looked to that either were launch, had launched in and created categories or inspiration that you pulled from that was maybe outside of cannabis that was like oh look there's some maybe interesting inspiration i mean i think there are probably a lot of um sort of health and wellness brands and there are things like i don't know aesop right that is just so beautifully designed and i think it's trying to be a brand that is that feels curated so is effective and feels curated and is beautifully designed something you kind of want to have in your mantelpiece and would turn into a bit of a badge brand as well. So people would see that you're using it and would associate you as being a certain type of person. Right. And I think what's nice about it is it doesn't follow any stereotypes of, you know, marijuana. I think when certainly so many brands work out, so you've just got the green, they put oh, a leaf on it. It's absolutely. Like all those like, tropes, And that was, so. that was the thing that was really interesting because at the time, you know, I think there's this real misconception about cannabis of it being this, and that's definitely changing, right, in the US, especially in California, of it being this evil stoner drug that's mm. a gateway drug to everything else. And if you smoke it, you're going to die. Um, whereas this brand was designed to sh be, you know, very minimalist, very, you know, feel quite medical, feel quite simple in its aesthetic mm -hmm. and feel like it was another piece of your wellness toolkit you'd have your aesop you'd have you know your quip toothbrush and then you'd have doses <laughs> next to it yeah, all um, your subscription services in one <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um, now i used to think the same thing about welsh brands like it always um bothers me when um you know people are asked oh can you just put a welsh dragon on there or just yeah you know just or some old you know old world type gothic type yeah like, oh come on we're more than that totally and i think um you know, i always really liked uh 
Pendarin's core range where it's like an oil seam but, yeah um which you know it just brings you in you're not quite sure it was but it starts to tell a story that's far deeper and far more intriguing yeah um I always like the same with um the sunken hundred you know which was a, a Welsh pub um that was here in Brooklyn I don't, did you ever go oh yes I remember it did um uh, Welsh rabbit in Welsh rabbit mm-hmm. yes um well. and we actually had Ishtid um Barrett if you're a new if you're a recent listener um our first episode we actually um did with Ishtid who was the um owner and proprietor um of um, the late sunken hundred um, but i would always what i loved about it is it was based on a myth and it was you know it had its it carved out its own space that was really different to kind of what you'd expect from just whales um, yeah but yes. I, I think but it, it allows you to differentiate yourself from the competition and whereas everyone else was you know like you say green with giant marijuana leaves and papyrus font yeah exactly <laughs> this is going okay this is a you know it's a whole it's kind of like wine right there's so much to know about it there's so many different strains there's so many different uh kind of approaches this elevate this just by making the design the way that we did it elevates it out of that category and then i think as well gives you that leeway to be a brand beyond the product mm. so you know if you did an event if you did a dosist event that was completely didn't have anything to do with cannabis you would still have that branding and that kind of ethos mm-hmm. um Let's get to my favorite part of a Sunday afternoon. It is Sunday, isn't it? It is. It is Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Just check. <laughs> it's talking about whales. Yep. And always. You're from Swansea, my hometown. I am. Do you get to go back much? Not as much as I would like to. Um, I think I've been to many weddings over the past couple of years, but you know, American holidays are not amazing. And so what I tend to do is do a red eye flight on a Thursday night, go to the wedding, and then leave straight away. Mm. Um, but I was back in May actually and it was a very rare sunny weekend sunny the entire time that's lovely yeah it was great are you going home for christmas uh i am yeah i can't wait yeah this is totally off topic but did you go to bar five on a monday yes i did yes i did and barons barons on a wednesday wednesday of course barons on wednesday was great um Face off on a Friday. Oh, classic. Yeah, I loved it. Bar, do you know, have I told you about Bar 5 on a Monday? Not I totally about forgot five about Bar 5. Bar 5 on a Monday was this, if you think about it, it's totally irresponsible. But it was a student night, so you had to show your student card to get in. So we um, all had fake ones. So we all had fake like ones, 15. of course. Yeah, and then when I when I was old enough to not have a student card, I, wouldn't go. I um, enrolled for like a, a really? course just so I could have <laughs> just one. Like a 40 quid night so course. Good. I did, I genuinely did that. And it, it was six pounds to get in and it was a free bar. So they'd water it down, but that doesn't matter because it's a free bar. Yeah. And then incrementally they put it up. And I remember, so I, I probably went there from like the age of 17 to 19. Uh-huh. And then by the time I was, I think I went off to uni and I came back in like a holidays or whatever and paid to get in. It was 11 pounds. And I remember him like, day like robbery. 11 pounds. <laughs> I remember there was a pub, I can't remember what it was called. It was right off... Um, uh, it's by the McDonald's in Castle Square, and it was a pound a double. A pound. Like Yates. Maybe it was Yates. No, the office. Yes, the office. Yes. Oh my it. goodness. A pound. A and double. so I know. And so you'd buy. So with the mixer. With yeah, yeah, yeah. With the mixer. The mixer was twenty five pence. So it was. <laughs> like I remember because I was. It annoyed. was. So we used to go out on Fridays to face off, and we'd go there. So like my porn bum would drop us off. We'd go and we'd have four doubles. We'd just buy four doubles. Oh, yes. that's silly, but you, you can get them in the same glass. You ask, you just say, can I have a quad? And, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Plastic cups, no less. But then you'd drink them and you'd be absolutely annihilated. Then you wouldn't have to buy anything in face-off because the drinks are more expensive. It's great. Great night. It's a good strategy. We used to go out on a tenner. 
Oh yeah. Me and my friends, seriously. Yeah. I had a mate once who uh, never got a cab home because she'd always go up to uh, the police and say she had her wallet stolen and she had no way of getting home and they'd drive her home. Every Every week? She did it like five or six times. Wow. That's hilarious. What a legend. Okay, I have one more story just because you mentioned um, uh, fake fake licenses or fake fake IDs. So I went online as you do to buy my my fake ID. Finally arrived, super happy, with my hands together. Yeah, here we go. Get it out. And I'm like, yes, I now have my fully official diving license. Not driving. No, no, no. Diving. It, was a, diving. it was a diving license. But it had my idea, my name. My also terrifying name. that you get a fake diving license. I know, right? Imagine being being like, yeah, yeah, I can dive. And they're like, all right, off you go. That doesn't sound very ethical. No, no, it really doesn't. I mean, um, so You'd think, yeah, that'd be harder to get. Well, yeah, but it, I still used it. So I was like, well, who would who would be stupid enough to use try and use it on a diving license? Oh right? Mumble Smile. Did you ever use the Mumble Smile? Mm-hmm. So Mumble Smile. I don't think I ever made it all the way. Oh, no, never. Mumble Smile was this mile of bars and pubs and you'd go and you'd have a drink in every single one and it was like there's like many? 20 of them 20 it was something disgusting and I like we only ever got like halfway and then I was sick <laughs> <laughs> you start in the white rows and just yeah. head down mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And, and where so what, what, what school what schools are you went to uh, I went to Olkfer so Olkfer comprehensive um, I w- lived in a little village called Three Crosses and I was at Olkfer from 11 to 18 so I was there for sixth form as well mm-hmm. um, it's a good school it's a good school Olkfer um, well it must be if it managed to get you to go to Oxford from there well they got yeah. quite a few people in actually which was quite good um, and it was in- it, it was an interesting transition though I gotta say because um, I remember my first few weeks at Oxford being like oh my god everyone is so so clever because you know you kind of grow up in a school and you're you know you do quite well and then you go to this other bigger place and everyone is you know has had everyone there is the most intelligent person in their school basically and, and are they mostly mostly english or is there international are there other welsh people from wales i don't know anyone else from wales i mean there, there would have been but i think because it's split into colleges and mm-hmm. you're in your college you're and in which, a very which college were you somerville in? Yeah. Um, it used to be all girls, but was not when I went there. Just like to point out. Um, and it was just tough. I remember um, the way they, the way that you study is you get an essay question with a reading list and then you have to go away and do it yourself. And it's a topic you'd have no idea about when you go away and you read your books, write an essay in like three days. And then you go and have a tutorial that's either one-on-one with a tutor or like you and two other people. So there is no way you can hide Right, so you have to mm. do it. I remember getting my first question and not understanding the question. <laughs> I'm just being like, oh my God. <laughs> and I also did a, a French history class and one of the modules I did was French history. And I uh, walked in the class and I didn't realize it would be in French. <laughs> <laughs> it's history in French opposed to like yeah. French history. Yeah, exactly. Because I was like, great, French Revolution. They've been really interesting. Get there and it's in French. Wow. Yeah, that was a tough moment. Had you, had you learned French in school? No, oh. I did. I did um, AS, but not to the level that I could do that. No. So I ended up just learning the entire book, like learning it off by heart. Oh, like word for word. Yeah. So you could. So I... <laughs> That's one way to get through, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it was great. I mean, it was. It was. I remember it as being. I think I blanked out all the work that I did, but I remember it being really fun. Um, and I definitely had no idea what I wanted to do. I just chose the subject that I really loved, which was history. Um, I think because my teacher in school was just amazing mm. and I just loved working with her so always the way it's always the way right and she was so inspiring and amazing and I think that's what made me want to 
go and keep studying history. But you know, what, what was her name? We should do a shout out. Mrs. Jacob. Mrs. Jacob. Yeah. Mr. Well Jacob. done, Mrs. Yeah, Jacob. Yeah, she was great. Um, and I think, you know, I sort of chose what I like doing, and then, but you know, what careers do you do with history? History teacher, academic, maybe. I also, so I also, there's another history. You did history. Major. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. And you both ended up in New York. In New York doing ad creative. That's right. I guess it's a the well-trodden path. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and so I got there and loved that side of it. But then, I think to try and discover what else I enjoyed, sort of threw myself into doing other stuff there. So I. I was president of the Oxford Media Society, which meant that you invited editors down to come and give a talk. Um, and that's actually very roundabout how I got into advertising. So one of the people I invited down uh, was the editor of Q Magazine, so that rock music magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And he came and gave a talk, and then I went. We went out for dinner, and just got on like so 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 well. And he then offered me a job. Um, for the summer at the magazine uh, the, uh, yeah so at Q Mojo and Kerrang so Kerrang was obviously the oh, super rocky remember Kerrang yes, remember Kerrang Mojo is the more like sort of like Bob Dylan yeah exactly oh, yeah. whereas Kerrang was like they had a channel yeah, as well didn't they yeah they did oh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah exactly um, and so I did my last day at uni on the Friday and then started on the Monday uh, at Glastonbury and so all summer I went like I was their festival person so I went to all the festivals around the UK, all the music shows, all the music awards. It was amazing, but it was absolutely exhausting. Like so, and that was a Glastonbury where it really rained. Oh, the Glastonbury. Yeah, and it's, so I remember waking up and my tent was just filled with water. My brother had been with me and he had a box of cornflakes and I woke up, it's probably the lowest point in my life, woke up, (laughs) muddy water up to just over my, like nearly over my face with cornflakes just floating around. And I was like, great. Wow. Yeah. Did it did it take a while to eat be able to eat cornflakes? Yeah, exactly. Never can never, never again. Um Especially not the chocolate covered ones. That is the thing in America. Is it? Is it chocolate oh, cornflakes? Of course it is. Oh, they cover everything. But they're more like frosties actually. They're like chocolate frosties. But that's just nice. cornflakes covered in sugar. Yeah, exactly. Sugar and chocolate. Perfect. Um so yeah, so what did that for how it was, six months? And then uh Grazia, you know the magazine Grazia? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So they were in the same building and Fallon, which is an ad agency, mm-hmm. did the sort of all the communications for Grazia. And I managed to kind of meet someone through there, went and did some work experience with Fallon and uh, then left and went to Madrid for a year and taught English. Um, TEFL. TEFL, did a mm-hmm. TEFL, yeah. It was great. You don't earn much money doing that though, I would say. Mm. And so my memories of Madrid are, it was very fun, but having so little money that I would go to a bar, get a drink, Make that one drink last for like three hours because they bring you free food. Mm, of course. They bring like you tapas. tapas as long yeah. as you're drinking, they bring you free food. So you just make that drink last as long as you could and then you just eat for free. Oh, but they're not daft, are they? They must have seen it was the same drink. They just felt I don't sorry know. Probably just you. felt sorry for me, this poor person sitting in the corner being like, bring me some more totally snacks. Totally <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, what was I? Can you talk about you? So you met someone at Fallon. Yeah, exactly. And so then, so I did work experience at Fallon, and then uh, when I was in Madrid, got offered a full time job at Fallon. So came back and worked on Sony there, which was awesome, and it was just so fun. And it was it was this thing where I'd done so many different things, and you know, I, I thought I wanted to be a journalist for a while. Mm. I thought it might be for something to do with media. And, and how old were you at this time, just to set context? Uh, 23. 23, 23, okay, 23. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I basically graduated, had like a year or two of, you know, 
fluffing around, not really being sure what I wanted to do, doing work experience here, there and everywhere. And for me, it was this industry where you get to be so creative and you get to talk about big creative ideas and strategies for everything from massive brands that you use every day down to new companies and new brands that are just being invented. Um, And it was this perfect mix for me of business, the business side of it, which I find really Mm -hmm. interesting. And then the kind of really fun creative side of it. And I was like, oh, Kabing, this is great. So maybe you can talk a little bit about, so what is your head of account management yes. now at Joan? So what is, what has your path been like and from like a, a role standpoint? Like what is, how would you describe that job? And what are the, I guess, skills you think required to be effective at that? I think you have to be able to kind of dip your toe into everything, right? So you have to be a strategist because you have to be able to work with people on strategy and have opinions and points of view. You have to, even actually before that, you have to be, you have to know your client's business Mm-hmm. almost as well as they do so that you can come with opinions and points of view that challenge them or kind of push them to be slightly better you have to be able to work on creative because you have to be able to see creative and go hey actually that's not quite right how about this that's is going to work that's not going to work um and you have to know enough about production to kind of work through all the production with your production partner so you kind of are there for every stage of the journey really so you're kind of playing the just see it's a sports analogy but so sorry for that but uh, uh is it kind of like the coach role in yeah. terms of like you you know you're kind, kind of, of kind putting of everyone together you've got certain people in different positions yeah and you're... kind of the coach slash manager slash final decision maker i think um and it's you know i think when you get more senior it is a real business leadership across these pieces of business so you know you're supposed to be the person who really knows that client and that business and knows what's going to be right for them and what's going to be good for them, has that relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's mainly, you obviously have to be pretty intelligent, I would say. You have to be able to be able to work with people and also just be like a nice person, be someone mm-hmm. that other people can trust. And that's both internally and externally. So working with every department on your side, people have to like you and get on with you and trust your opinion. Mm-hmm. And then it's the same on the client side. They have to be able to really think that you have their best interests at heart it's a lot of juggling a lot of kind mm. of people balancing and juggling yeah because i imagine it's because you, on one hand you've got you know incredibly creative people you know people put making kind of do their best like artistic you know expression to solve a problem and then the other side you're to your point you're running a business you need, yeah you need something that you know exactly. and to your point yeah yeah it's, it is about being a good human while exactly. doing it but at the end of the day you need to make sure the economics work totally because that's how you keep people in jobs totally totally and, and you know i think that throughout your career in uh advertising and communications though you will work with people who get very in a box of i'm this is my creative project and you're like yeah of course it is but it's also got to do a job right it's not just art for the sake of art it's got to do a job and it's got to work for these reasons mm. and that sometimes some tension does my eyes go down my yeah vision. yeah my vision exactly it's, it's always better to work within a brief anyway yeah totally any 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 creative thing because if it's too broad then yeah you don't know where you're going with it. That, I think that exactly. I don't get asked to do a lot of creative stuff as a, as a technical yeah. person, but when I do, the briefs are helpful. Yeah, because it focuses you. Totally, it makes the box a bit smaller. I mean, and I think the thing that's really interesting at the moment is if I definitely look back at the last kind of ten years of working when I first started, we would just make films, right? So you'd right. get a brief from someone and you'd make a sixty second film, you make a thirty second film, make you'd start to make stuff online. Now what we're doing is just so much more diverse and interesting than that. So one of the things we're working on at the moment is um, a clean beauty brand down in San Francisco. And we're building the, so clean beauty is, it's all natural. 
Ah. So it's not filled with lots of shit, basically. Um, And it's building the brand from scratch. So we've gone and we've done research all over the US. So I've gone to, you know, people's houses in New York and LA and, you know, other places and really kind of delved into what people want and what they feel and what they they buy and why they buy it. Then um, the brand name, the branding, all of the design. I know, you should put a plant on it. You should put a leaf in the Ingenious, ingenious. <laughs> Giving that away for free as well. God. Um, but yeah, so I think that the, the briefs that you get now are so, so different. And so I think that every single day is um, very, very different and very challenging in its own way. And it's gonna, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with creative agencies and where they go. I think the thing that I love about Joan is that because we have all these different companies under the umbrella, mm-hmm. you can flex one of those up and down depending on what the brief is. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll add more. I think we definitely want to do our own IP at mm. some point. What IP, sorry? Uh, as in our own brand. So as, as well as just working on brands for other people, create the Joan brand of X. Well, what's IP stand for, sorry? Intellectual property. So imagine we made a, I don't know, a, a coat brand. It'd be like the Joan coat brand. And because we design it in a very specific way, it would own, we'd own it. Yeah, so we actually have a cafe. So in Atlanta, there's a huge cafe. Oh, really? Yeah, it's fully... Your um, branding industry has a... Cafe, yeah. There's a retail space that came out five years ago. And we were at the time messing around with um, kind of new technology like um, RFI chips, RFID chips, um, uh, and NFC technology. And as a way to kind of play with it, it was we actually just created this cafe. And it's a fully functioning, oh, revenue-generating, wow. yeah. profit-making cafe. Totally. Um, which is that the, the company owns. Well, this is the thing, right? So if you spend so much of your time working on strategic problems and briefs from big brands, what about making one? What mm. about making one on, you know, what's the Joan Cafe or Joan Coat brand, whatever it is. And I think using all of those skills to make something from scratch is super exciting. Um, and I think, you know, having that ambition as a, I think as a creative company now, you don't have to be so defined into one box. You don't just mm. have to be, oh, we're an agency that makes TV ads. You can have all of these different pieces going on. Mm. It's great. Very cool. So we like one last question, because we always ask this. If It sounds like you're in an industry that's obviously changing dramatically um, and the type of work is changing as a result. When you're looking for people now to maybe come join either maybe it's in junior roles or mm-hmm. interns and you're looking at their background, either they're, maybe their skill set or their professional educate um, education or um, other kind of passions what do you what do you look for what are the kind of the traits that you kind of try and identify in in people mm-hmm. that's a good question it is a good question I don't think there is a definite answer to that I don't think there's a one size fits all I think it's trying to look at each person individually and going right is this person an interesting person right so it doesn't you don't have to have done a degree I didn't I did modern history which is basically medieval history um what you know is this person someone who's interested in the world and pieces around them and have done things beyond just what they had to do Mm. so I think if I got a CV and it was just someone had gone to school gone to university box box that was it that for me would be less far less interesting than someone who'd you know done that path but also done some journalism on the side or tried to do this or tried to work for a different company or gone and lived in a different country for a while I think having that slightly wider experience no matter what it is 
is what would make you an interesting candidate. Um, that coupled with just a passion for wanting to work on big creative ideas and make work that people see and care about and talk about and lives in culture. Um, CVs are also really hard because I think lots of people say the same things on their CVs. Mm. And so I think in person being personable and interesting and interested and having a point of view on the world and where it's going um, is super important. Sounds like very good advice. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think there is a specific path. And I actually, I mean, lots of people disagree with me on this, but I think that I quite like people who don't have degrees in advertising or marketing. So I don't think you need it. I think having something that, doing something that you're really interested in and passionate about is way more important and having you know a few years of really trying things out and throwing things at the wall so when I was in uni I you know I did that uh, media society stuff I also wrote for the newspaper because I thought I might want to be a journalist I uh, was in the air force for a bit because I thought I wanted to maybe do that yeah they have Oxford has this um uh the university air squadron so they you can learn how to fly a plane wow yeah and did you learn how to fly I did I did yes um, I did not get my pilot's license, but I did. That's okay. so cool. Yeah, it's great, right? And so I think just doing that and like seeing every and taking opportunities and going, right, I've no idea why this might lead to something, but mm. maybe it will. And and maybe it will help you provide a different point of view totally. when it matters. Totally. Um, one of the things I always like to say is to when I'm speaking to students is that you're, you know, l- you, the relevance is limited only by your imagination. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you can make that connection for people, it give it, that there's value in that. Totally. Um, and if you have some experience that's completely different to anyone else in the room, like that's valuable. Yeah. Um, and in fact, to your point, like that having that same kind of experience as everyone else um, doesn't help you in that. Because- totally, totally. And and I also think always bear in mind that the people you're talking to are very busy. Um, so anything that you can do to make yourself be noticed. So Are we talking CVs here? Yeah. Mm. So I think that so when I was applying to Fallon and some other companies, um, I went in person. Mm. So I was in London and I printed off my CV and I literally went in person and gave it to the receptionist, which meant that she had it and she would give it to somebody. And I think doing that, you know, I get sent CVs all the time and sometimes I just don't have time to look at them or you do and you forget about it so I think that really showing that you want to be there and doing everything you can to be noticed put your head above the parapet a bit is good there is a limit to that I remember getting a CV once and the the kid had laid it out like a wanted poster oh wow (laughs) 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 I heard about once someone got a uh sent a bin a rubbish bin with the CV inside it and the thing and he was like I'll just save you the trouble of putting this in the bin I, like, is that funny? I don't know. That's, no, it doesn't really make sense. I think that's a bit tone deaf. Yeah. Tone deaf. That's <laughs> I wonder if they read it. What if they did? What if, if they reached the into the bin and pulled it out? Oh, they did. Yeah, they did. I mean, at least it gets you noticed. At least it's like a thing that's like, okay, but that's just stupid. I think going somewhere and giving your CV in is, is one thing. Sending yeah. a bin with your CV in the bottom is maybe too far. So there you go. No bins. No bins. Number one. one. That's, that's tip number two. <laughs> yeah. What's tip number one? I forgot tip number one. We had it earlier. No, no bins is the only one that really okay. matters. Yeah, the, the only rule <laughs> that matters. What about if someone uh, has listened to this and is very interested in perhaps following a similar mm-hmm. career path or wants to reach out and get any advice? What would be a good way to get in touch with you? You can email me at Sarah with an H at 
Joan Creative, J-O-A-N Creative.com. And cool. I will reply. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we'll put a we'll put some links on the website to some of the things we've discussed. Um, and yeah, I just want to say thank you very much for joining us. This has well, been thank a thank you for having me. Yeah, a lot of fun. Oh, it's been a lovely afternoon. Yeah, very lovely. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, then please subscribe and leave us a review, as long as it's positive. The more people review the show, the more people will get to hear the show. Yeah, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, then please do. The email is podcast at newyorkwelsh.com or you can contact us through any of the socials. Both our Instagram and Twitter are at New York Welsh. And if you'd like to stay up to date with the latest goings on, you can do so by subscribing to the monthly newsletter on our website. newyorkwelsh.com.